0: Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Easter's here, right? It's here. And we have flyers. Please grab some flyers. Drop them off. Pass them out. Just don't trash up the roadways. But if you have someone, invite them. Because as I've said again and again, people really do want you to invite them. You'll be surprised. You'll say, Pastor, you're right. You just invite them to an Easter service and they'll come. And we have Good Friday, 7 o'clock uh, this Friday. Uh, p.m., by the way, and then Sunday morning, 6 a.m. So for those of you that want to come out in the dark, we'll be here. It'll, it'll be fun, a uh, resurrection service, you know, uh, just 1 Corinthians. Oh, I love the whole, the whole thing. I, I just get excited about it every year. So it should be a great time. If you want to be a, a participant in, in helping set up Saturday, you can sign up on the little sign-up list as you leave the uh Uh, exit tonight, you can just go sign your name up on one of the times. John's broken up the time, so you just work a couple hours on Saturday and help us out. We'd love to have you. Well, we're in uh, Numbers chapter 14 tonight, so let's open our Bibles there to Numbers chapter 14. It's been an exciting study thus far in this wonderful Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 13. Uh, Last week, we uh, found the The children of Israel, the three million of them, have been right on the border of Canaan in a place called Kadesh Barnea. They've gone a few days travel. It's taken them a little bit of time because of their disobedience, but they've gone a few days travel. They got to the border and they sent spies in. Remember, they wanted spies. They wanted to check the land out. God uh, had not planned that, but allowed that. So they went in and the Twelve spies came back, one from each of the tribes, and they came back. Ten of them had the majority report, and their report was fear. Their report was unbelief. Their report was how, you know, why would God lead us here because we're going to die? There's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers, as you recall, at the end of chapter 13. Now we come to chapter 14, and in chapter 14, it's really interesting because we get the consequence of, of their unbelief. And that's what I've titled this chapter. It's a long chapter, but uh, I'll spend some time in the beginning and then we'll we'll really blast through the end. So we'll be able to get through it tonight. With that in mind and your Bibles open, let's ask God's blessing. Let's go to him in a word of prayer. Father, we count it a privilege to gather together as your sons and daughters, made righteous because of your son Jesus Christ. And we're grateful that tonight we can come and open our Bibles freely and worship you freely and openly. And I I just pray, God, tonight as we read, that you'll reveal yourself to us. Touch those that are hurting. Inspire those that are are maybe bored a little bit. Cause us as your people to rise up and, and thank you for all that you've done, and may we just really relive and apply this history lesson tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to go through these verses, and I'll make some application. There's a lot of really great stuff in here. Again, chapter 13 revealed the unbelief of the people. They have not believed, and now 10 of the 12 tribes, 10, come back with a report. And these guys, remember, represent the people, all the people in the tribe. So the majority of the people in Israel, these Hebrews, the majority of the children of Israel do not want to go into Canaan. They're afraid. They've allowed their unbelief and doubt to bring fear in their lives. They're not trusting the Lord. And all of these things that we're learning, we can apply, and I'll do that as we go through. But notice in verse 1, we find the rebellion in the camp. So all the congregation, they lifted up their voices, and they cried, and the people wept that night. So they have this all-night cry fest, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Remember, they're afraid of the giants, the cities, the fortified areas. They've seen it, and now they're afraid. We're going to be killed by this sword. And notice, here's their lame excuse. Our wives and our children are the victims. It's your fault, Lord. And now our wives and children are going to be victims because of you. Do you hear what they're doing? No belief, they're in fear, and now they're blaming God. They're angry at the Lord. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now again, two of the leaders, Caleb and Joshua, have brought back a good report from the land. They say at the end of chapter 13, you can kind of flip back to verse 30 in chapter 13. Notice what they say. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. So there's a discussion going on. On one side, you have the majority, 10, saying we can't do this. They're giants. Look at the fortified cities. Look at all their armament. We can't do this. And on the other side, you have Joshua and Caleb, these two mighty men of God. And whether it was Caleb or Joshua who said it, we don't know, but let us go up at once and take possession. We can do this. We've got God on our side. They have belief. They they fear the Lord, and they trust God, and they, they haven't lost confidence in the Lord. And then in verse 31, the other ten spies say, but the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. So the 12 tribes representing the people, 10 bad report, 2 good report. And these 10 spies that, that gave the bad report, they're speaking for the whole nation. It says they're the whole nation now is complaining. It was the whole nation. It was all the people. It wasn't just a few. It was the whole nation, except for Joshua and Caleb, the majority of the spies. They represent the lack of faith, faith of the whole, the whole nation. And again, remember that the spies going to the, into the land was not God's plan. God's plan was for them to obey him. Here you are. You're at the the, I'm going to prepare you. I've prepared you. I've, I've set you in, in uh, 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 order in, in terms of your tribes. I've set you in order in terms of a military army. I've, I've trained you this past year, and now you're ready. You're at the border. You're ready to go in. And they said, Well, we want to go see. Remember, I showed you that last week in Deuteronomy. We want to go see. And so Moses allows the people to send the spies in, but that was not God's original plan. They didn't need to see the land or the people, because God had already promised that they're going to prevail. And when when you read those kinds of things and ask those kinds of questions, the thought that should come up in your heart is, how often I have been given a, a road, a ministry. An opportunity to serve the Lord, but then I begin to ask questions and I begin to wonder, can I do this? Am I strong enough, big enough, spiritual enough? Instead of just God says, you need to do this for me. You just open your mouth, I'll fill it. You just take that step of faith and I'll lead you. And we 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 step back as Christians. We don't ask our relative about Easter because we fear they're gonna they're gonna be offended by that. If God puts someone on your heart, you ask him and invite him to Easter, and you just watch God work. It's up to him. It's up to the Lord to lead. You just let the Lord do that work. These people were afraid because of their unbelief. They had God, and they had God's promise. God had promised to prosper them. I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and finally they're at the border to realize the, the uh, promise that God had made, and instead of believing the promise and trusting in the promise, fear, fear built up in them, and so their bad report leads the whole nation into this rebellion. We're going to see the whole nation starts whining and complaining, and the whole, it wasn't just one or two people, it wasn't just the ten spies, the whole nation is going to be complaining and rebelling now. Verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Again, they've only been out of Egypt for a year, and they don't recall all that they endured there, the, the idols, the, the mistreatment, they were slaves. They were slaves in bondage. They were being whipped, and, and they were working in mud pits making bricks. It was a horrible, horrible existence. But now they want to go back. They, they believe they'd be better off there. Why? Because they've lost their faith. They've left it. They've, the Unbelief is a thief. They've turned away from God and his promises here. The people were weeping and mourning. Why? Here's the answer to that. Because it wasn't easy. They wanted the easy way, which should remind you of someone. We we should all point to someone. Not to someone, but to someone. Because we're we're that way, aren't we? It's unbelief. And we need to be so thoughtful of that. If they would have trusted the Lord, they could have walked... Right across the border, taking possession of the land. But now they're weeping and wailing. Why? Because God didn't make it easy. God is going to require them to act on faith. They're going to have to believe in His promises and step forward to make progress in faith. But because it's not easy, because there's a trial, there's an adversity, there's a difficulty in life, sound familiar? And every day, as a believer, every day. You know, God, when He saved you, He didn't say your life was going to be easy. He saved you for His purpose and His glory. And He uses you through trials, sickness, difficulties, hardships. He uses you for His good, or for your good, pardon me, and His glory. He has a purpose. Well, how could it be glorifying God if I go through a sickness? Well, my, this, your sickness might not be for you. Your sickness could be for the nurse. Your sickness could be for the doctor. Your sickness could be for the spouse, your children, your neighbor. It's not about you. See, it's the easy road. We, we always want the easy road. And then we, we complain. God, why me? Why am I sick? Why don't I have the finances like, like that rich person You know, down the street. Why don't I have the Tesla? Why why can't I buy an airplane? That's my complaint. Why can't I have why can't I have these things that I want? Uh, You know, whining and and becoming bitter. These people, notice what they did. They wept all night because it wasn't easy. Can I just suggest weeping, complaining, murmuring? I guess that's a bad plan. It's a bad plan. Don't do that. Don't go there. But trust in the Lord depend on him, re- rely upon his promises. The Bible says that, says that trials and hardships in the Christian's life are allowed by God. Hebrews 12, notice this verse behind me. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields afterward. After the hardship, after the illness, after the pain, after the valley, there's always something better. It's the, it's the, the silver lining. It's the day of ascension. It's the, the mountaintop experience. There's always an afterward. Wouldn't you agree? We want to live on the afterwards, but God does not promise us easy. we got to go through valleys. That's where the fruit grows. That's where the ground is tilled. And then we come out of the valley up onto the mountaintop. That's the believer's life. That's what's being portrayed here in the life of the children of Israel. We should expect through the difficulty, through the, the pain, like it says here in Hebrews, that afterwards there's going to be this yielding, this fruit that comes from the life of the believer who trusts in the living God. We should expect that. But these unfaithful Hebrews in number 14, they're weeping. We want to go back. We, w- we want to go back to Egypt. Can you hear them saying that? And they're weeping all night long. If only we had died, the end of verse 2, in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness, we'd be better off. Now, they're complaining, but they're mad. They're mad. They've, they've gone beyond just whining and whimpering. They're mad. They're angry at God. Verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, to die, that our wives and children should become victims too? Now, let me just stop here for just one moment and give you a pastoral warning, because I have heard this complaint before. Someone comes to me, and they'll say, I'm angry with God. That's that's a, a red light for me and it should be for every believer. It's never okay to be angry with God. I don't care what psychologist tells you that you should be angry with yourself or forgive yourself or whatever. It's never okay to be angry with God because when you are angry with God and you don't deal properly with that and see that it's sin and then ask God for forgiveness for your passion, for your anger, if you don't come to the Lord honestly in that regard, then you're sinning. God only does good things. He only has good things for his people. He allows you to go through pain, but he never brings sin into the believer's life, ever. He can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt us by evil. So if you're going through a painful thing, God's allowed it. And for you to be angry with God is sin. It's wrong. It's a bad plan, as I've said. And the Christian should never be. So how does a Christian deal with that? I'm, I'm angry right now. and I might be angry with God. This is how you deal with it. You, go, you run right to the Lord. You run to the Lord and say, Lord, I got these feelings that are wrong. I, I admit that my feelings, my passions are wrong because I'm starting to blame you, Lord, and that can't be true. You're only good. Your promises are only right. That's how you deal with that. You have to go to the Lord in those times that you're angry, when you don't get your way, when things are not easy in your life, it's never okay to be angry with God. And I, again, I say that because there are Christian counselors that will actually take you through therapy. They call it therapy, and they say, you, it's okay to be angry with God. No, it isn't. Uh, there's no, you're, you're defying the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't felt emotion toward God. I'm not saying I haven't. But you must deal with it correctly. You need to go to the Lord immediately and, 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 and be reconciled. Say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I'm out of bounds here. I'm wrong. Because you're only good. And you reconcile yourself back immediately that way. You don't need that kind of therapy. Paul told the early believers in Corinth. Look at this verse. I love this one. 2 Corinthians 10. He says, this is what you do. He said, you cast down arguments And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what you do. It's not okay to be angry with God. You have to control your own thoughts toward God. You can ask the Lord questions. You can share with the Lord your pain. You can ask God for solutions and, and endurance through your trial, those are all good things. Those are great conversation points and, and requests to the Lord. But notice again, Paul says, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You need to bring every thought into captivity into obedience to Christ. So it's always a sin to be angry with God. And, and as believers, we should never assume or imply that such feelings are are justified. We should never justify those kinds of feelings. We should go to the Lord, confess it as sin, don't try to, to uh, candy coat it or justify it in any way. Look at verse 4 again. So they said to one another, let's select another leader. That's pure rebellion. They're mad at God. They're going to they're choose someone else. They don't want God's plan. They don't want God's leaders. They don't even want God's land. They want to go back to Egypt. God promised them land. They don't even want it. That's that's how rebellious they are, this this place in their lives. And then notice here in verse 5, the appeal to Joshua and Caleb. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes Again, Moses and Aaron are so shocked by this rebellion, they don't even say anything. They hear the rebellion. And there's a, a riot going on in the crowd. There's, these people are angry. And Moses and Aaron, they don't even say, stop it. They don't say, quiet down. They don't say, they just fall down and prostrate before the Lord and begin to pray. This is a, this is a very uh, important turning point for the children of Israel. This chapter really is a pivotal chapter in the uh, life of the children of Israel, it's the, the worst catastrophe. Even Moses, at the end of Deuteronomy, when he talks about his experience with his people, this was a colossal mistake in his vision, in his eyes. He, he actually reports it as a colossal mistake. And they spoke, verse 7, to all the congregation. So now it's Joshua and Caleb who are speaking to try to persuade the people. They spoke to them saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people in the land, for they are our bread. We're going to eat them for lunch. I love the, the, the passion of Caleb. I just I love what he's saying here, and even Joshua. Not sure, again, who said it, but I, I think they're both behind the words there. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So Joshua and Caleb stand up, and they tell the people, don't forget the promises of God. This is God's promised land. Don't leave it. God is with us. God is going to lead us through this. So they make this appeal. And they say, don't let your rebellion rule in this case here. So again, their rebellion, their whining, their fear as a people, these 10 spies in the whole nation of Israel, it all is a result of the unbelief in their heart. They're not trusting the Lord. They're not believing God. They're not walking by faith or living by faith. They're living by their own feeling and they're living by their own sight. And now they've sinned and rebelled against the Lord. Now notice in verse 10, two amazing responses here. This is one verse is packed here. And all the congregation said, stone them. Look at that. Who are they talking to? Joshua and Caleb. Stone them. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So first, the first response we see here in in verse 10 is a hatred for Caleb and Joshua. The people hate them because they're speaking the truth, which happens to prophet after prophet after prophet in the Bible, even Jesus Christ. Speaking the truth for God is a challenge to the God-hater. And it's just revealing who these people are because they want to kill Caleb for saying, we can do this. We can take these people, these giants. They're, they're, we're going to eat them for lunch. They're our bread. And the people pick up stones. They want to stone them there. They're so mad at God. They're going to take out their hatred on Caleb and on Joshua. Joshua they're rebellious, they're unbelievers, they're they're unfaithful. Again, I have a note here, warning, whenever you use the truth of God's word to counsel someone that's in sin, they come to you and they want to justify something they're doing, and it's an obvious sin. It's it's clearly defined in Scripture as wrong, and they do it anyway. They want to justify, and they come to you. And as soon as you give them the truth, the word, they're going to attack you. They're going to they're be all over you. It's, it's, they, they try to do it sometimes here in the church. You know, they come here and, and you know, should I do this or that? And I, I won't name the situations, but there's many. And the first thing they do is they want to pick up a stone and throw it at you because you told them the truth. You revealed the truth about them, and, the, and it makes them mad. John Bunyan says this. I love this quote. Notice behind me on the screen. Unbelief has as many lives as a cat. So let us kill one life now and continue the work till the whole nine are gone. I love that. John Bunyan. There's a new movie, by the way, uh, on on, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the the Christian allegory that he wrote back in the 1600s. Um, John Bunyan was incarcerated by the Catholic Church who did not want him to preach the gospel and read the word. And they said, if you don't stop it, we're going to throw you in jail. And he wouldn't stop, so they threw him in jail. And from jail, he wrote all these wonderful... If you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, it's a classic. It's a Christian classic. It's an allegory. It's wonderful. And they made this cartoon. It's going to be at the theater tomorrow night at 7 and Saturday. Just two showings. It's Thursday night and Saturday. So if you get a chance go see that it's it's an animation but it, it looked pretty good when I, I looked at it online but John Bunyan killed the cat you know kill all nine of them I love that and then the second response here in verse 10 is amazing notice it says the glory of the Lord appeared so what's going on the people are rebellious we're not going in there you what do you want us to die when we get there and there's this there's this crowd of people that are they're beginning to riot in fact they're picking up stones they're going to kill Joshua and Caleb that's what's going on and then guess who shows up the Lord and how does he show up his glory a light it's like the the temp, the, the tabernacle starts glowing the people are are rioting and <laughs> I can just see it it starts to glow you it's getting bigger you know I I'd love to animate that on some kind of a Make a dramatic show out of that. This is the Lord's response here. Now, we're not told what the glory of the Lord did here. It just, the light begins. And the, but the people are going to figure this out. They're complaining. They're rioting. They're upset. They're angry at God. They want to kill Caleb and, and Joshua. And they want to go back to Egypt. They want a new leader. Someone said this about faith. Because these people are not believing at this point. Someone said, faith looks ahead with courage. Unbelief looks back with complaint. Faith unites the people of God. Unbelief looks for someone to blame. It's so true. So now because of their unbelief, the glory of the Lord is appearing right there in their, their midst. And again, I, th- I see the crowd being out of control. I see a riot happening, and there's, mo- there's, there's motion, there's noise, there's threatenings coming from angry voices. Moses is praying. Aaron's on his face. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me? with all the signs which I have performed among them. What a great question. Moses goes to, or the Lord comes to Moses in his prostrate state. He's bowed before the Lord. He doesn't know what to say. He's gone into a place of mediation. He's beginning to intercede for these disobedient people because that's his role. Moses is the mediator between God and man, just as Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Moses is a type of Christ as you study his life, and that's what he's doing here. He falls down, he begins to pray, and God responds because God speaks to Moses, and he asks them the question, how long will these people reject me? Because these people won't listen to God, and they're all worked up. They're unbelief, they're fear, they're upset. God comes and speaks to Moses. And here's the truth about when you stop living by faith, your ears are stopped up or you can't hear the voice of God. When you turn away from God in your own, when you turn away from the word of God, when you turn away from walking or living that life of faith, do not expect to hear from God. These people are so upset. They're so angry. They're not hearing from God. Moses is praying. He's hearing from the Lord. I think it's it's a tale, tale sign in my life, in my experience, that when I'm in a place of just rejecting the counsel of the Lord, I just don't hear his voice. There's a disconnect in fellowship when you're disobedient. And that's really what's happening here. These people are unbelieving. They're obstinate. They're angry they're rebellious and it's broken their fellowship and prayer with God and they get this what's known as an uncomfortable silence I don't know if you've ever been that way the silence of God when you call out to him and you don't hear anything it, it's not always a result of your disobedience but it's uncomfortable not to hear from the Lord that's when I, I go right to the Bible I open the Matthew 4 5 and 6 and I read 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 because I want to hear the voice of the Lord. I love the word, and that helps me to reconnect with God. These people reject God and the servants. Moses, they've rejected Aaron, they've rejected Joshua, they've rejected Caleb. The question is, do they really expect God to lead them or guide them at all? No, they they, they don't even go to God. They want to pick their own leader now. They want to bail on Aaron and Moses, and they want to pick their own leader so God says to Moses, "How long will these people reject me?" And then verse twelve, "I will strike them with a pestilence, and disinherit them, and I will make you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they." That's that's pretty heady stuff for Moses. I mean, think about Moses. Well, yeah, yeah, I am, I am pretty right on. I, I deserve to be these. They, they are disobedient and obstinate, but not Moses. We don't get this from Moses because Moses is a very humble and a very righteous man. I love that about Moses. This is one of the, the examples of how humble Moses was. He could have taken charge from that moment on, said, hey, what, who cares about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I'm Moses. God speaks to me on the mountain. I, see, I, I speak to God face to face. I hear his voice. I'm special. So, yeah, I I want them wiped out, and then you'll raise up my name. I'll I'll go for that, God. That sounds good, not Moses. Because he's a mediator. Because he's not going to give up on his people, just as Jesus didn't ever give up on you or me. He's such a great example. It's in Numbers 12, verse 3, that we see his humility... It says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And again, I I believe that's the Holy Spirit that wrote that in this portion of the Bible that was actually penned by the man Moses. I don't believe he wrote that himself. I believe that was God's statement about Moses. Moses doesn't defend himself against his brother and sister's attack. If you recall, that's what chapter 12 is all about. Aaron and Miriam come and say, you know, what about that woman you just married? And how come you're listening to her and not us? And we're more important remember that whole debate. But Moses was humble. He didn't defend any of that stuff. He allowed God to put him in that place of leadership. He didn't defend himself against these attacks. And so God defends Moses. He says, I speak to Moses face to face. I spoke to Moses on the mountain back in chapter 12. And now Moses shows his true heart of humility. That's what we see here. And Moses mediates for the people. My next point here. The three things about this mediation or intercessory prayer that I want to point out, I'll go quickly here, beginning in verse 13, it's all about God's glory. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So Moses says, not so, Lord, I'm not the one. These are your people, and you protected them, and you've watched after them, and you're leading and you're guiding them. Verse 15, now if you kill these people as one man, then all the nations... Which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, "Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which He swore to give them, therefore He killed them in the wilderness." And they'll scoff and they'll laugh. Mo- Moses is really concerned with the glory of God here. Can you see that? He's concerned with God's glory. He said, "Not so, Lord. You've proven yourself faithful, and if you kill these people here, then all the nations around." They won't know of your glory. This is is all about you and your power. Moses is not only thinking about God's reputation within the nations, but God's glory among the Egyptians whom God defeated and the Canaanites who God will defeat in the future. So Moses is concerned about the glory of God. And secondly... Moses reminds God of his promise and his power. Notice verse 17. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great. Just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is longsuffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Moses here is basically saying, Lord, You've revealed yourself by your word. You're the one that's faithful. You're the one that's long-suffering. You're abundant in mercy. You've revealed yourself in all of these wonderful ways. These are your promises that you've made to me and to these people. It's your power and your promises that we're going to stand upon. And Moses is a man of faith. He's not a man of unbelief. He believes. And he's saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I commit to you. These are your promises, God. You've shown your power in the past. And then number three, notice God's pardon. Verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people, Moses prays, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, Moses. Truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of of the Lord. Don't worry about my glory. I'll, I'll be glorified. But because of your word, because of your intercession, because of what you're doing here, I pardon them. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth here. The Lord is gracious and long-suffering and faithful. He's willing to pardon. He's willing to forgive. It just takes an act of my will, of your will, to go to him and confess your sin. He was waiting for these people to come and confess their sin. But the beautiful picture here is, is of a mediator, of an intercessor. Moses now is the intercessor. And he's come between a, a rebellious people that want to murder Caleb and Joshua. And he's saying, pardon them. You're long-suffering, God. And it's your power that's brought us this far. So Moses becomes a type of Christ. He... In the Old Testament as a type, he typifies Jesus in what he does, primarily as a mediator. He's a prophet, but he's also this mediator or intercessor. He intercedes for the people and prays for the people here. So he's a picture of the work of Christ, except Christ's work, as we know, is even better. Not only does God intercede for the people, but God in Christ goes to the cross and dies there with your sin and with mine. He paid the penalty. Moses couldn't do it. All Moses could do it was mediate. Jesus not only mediates, but he takes our sin upon him, and he went to the cross. We're going to celebrate that Friday night. It's a glorious truth. The fact that Jesus is your mediator, and Jesus pays the debt that you could not pay. Jesus says, let their judgment be upon me, and the Father forgives. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a great scripture here. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. I love that truth. I can't be righteous in and of myself. Religion won't bring righteousness. Good works won't bring righteousness. The only thing that brings righteousness is the complete work of Jesus on the cross where he took your sin and mine and in his body he died with that sin. That's the truth of the the blood of Christ and the propitiation and the atonement and the expiation and the work of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Christ does that work of mediation and intercession. Moses is a type here. And notice in verse 20, we have God's judgment on the rebellion. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test, and now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land. So there's God's judgment. These people that are disobedient and rebellious, they're not going to go in the land which I swore their fathers, nor shall any of those who reject me see it. But, here's the great but here, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I bring it to the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now, the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So God is speaking to Moses face to face. He's revealed his judgment. These disobedient, rebellious people are not going to see the land, but Caleb. And God singles out the man Caleb here. And I love this about Caleb. Caleb's bold. He's, He's faithful. He's trusting. He's depending on God. He's walking by faith. And then God's comment there in verse 20 now, tomorrow, you're not going in the land. You're going to run from them. The land that you were going to possess, the people you were going to conquer, they're going to conquer you. You better turn tail and run because you're going to spend 40 years until this generation is dead. God's pardon was for those people right then and there. So the wrath of God didn't come down and just wipe them out in a, in a minute. So God pardoned them, but now they're going to die in the wilderness. They're going to get what they wanted, right? They didn't want to go into the land. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They're going go to go back to Egypt, and on the way back toward Egypt, they're going to die in the desert. That's their judgment against those people. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with the evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints, which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above. Except, I love this, for Caleb, the son of Yephaniah. And Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Again, the men of faith are the only exceptions here. And then the younger, 20 and below, everyone else, 20 and above, are going to perish in the desert. And then verse 31, but your little ones whom you said, this is a reference back to verse 3, the little ones you said would be victims I'm going to bring them in. I'll show you how how evil I am. You guys think I'm evil? I'm going to kill your little ones. That's what they accuse God of. Remember, they're angry and accusing God of that. He says, "I'm going to bring them in." I love that. It's ironic that it's the children that will now enter the land and they'll inherit the land, while their parents perish in the wilderness. Verse 32. But as for you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the burnt or the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness they shall be consumed and there they shall die so this is really the turning point as i've said in the history of the children of israel they've made this catastrophic mistake and it's been their unbelief and their fear that drove them to be angry with god and they rejected the land and they rejected god's leader and they want to go back to egypt And because of their unbelief, that led them to rebellion. And because of their rebellion, it's going to lead to their their death. And notice here, at the end here, the death sentence for the ten spies. Now, the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report in the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. So they... Something happened, and they died right away. But Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephthah, they remained alive, and the men who went to spy out the land. Again, this immediate judgment against the men that, were, that led the rebellion of unbelief. We can't go in there, the giants. We're grasshoppers. The land's flowing. Yes, it's, it's got great produce, but the fortified cities and, and the, the, the difficulty, it's not going to be easy. We can't take those people, their unbelief. For us as Christians tonight, one of the wonderful truths is that when we believe the Lord, we have to let the old man, the, the old woman, Before Christ, that person before you came to Jesus Christ, the old man, the old woman, the flesh, we have to let him die. We have to let him die completely. You can't bring the old life into the new because if you bring the old life into the new, then you're going to want to walk by sight and not by faith. And it'll lead you in the same way it led these people Paul says this in relation to letting the old man die. Notice behind me on the screen. He says, put off or take off these clothes. Put off concerning your former conduct. That's B.C., before Christ, before you're born again. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you come to Jesus Christ, you don't just turn over a new leaf. Oh, I'm I'm born again. Everything's rosy. No, you commit yourself to following the Lord and walking by faith and believing in the promises of God. You let the old man die, and you let the new man that's patterned after Christ live. And sisters, don't, don't get all weird about me saying man that's human. That's what that means there in the scriptures. You can look it up if you want to. That's, this is this is ap- applicable to you. These are promised land people. We are promised land people. God is leading us somewhere. We must walk by faith and trust the Lord. And in verse thirty nine, then Moses told these words to the children of the Israel, and the people mourned. <laughs> you should. Oh boy. And they rose early the next morning. They got, they got religion. They rose early in the next morning, and they went up to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are. We'll go up to the place the Lord promised. We've sinned before you, Lord. Save us right now. They're, they're getting all religious. Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. You better run. The Canaanites and Amalekites are coming. You better get out of here. God warned you. He's told me you better leave right away. You'll fall by the sword if you go up and ask God for forgiveness. You've already blown it because you've turned away from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you, verse 44. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant nor the Lord nor Moses departed the camp. So these people went off on their own. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So then the the people from the land, God allowed it. He allowed the people of the land to attack them and chase them back. So now for 40 years, they're going to be in the, the wilderness. 40 years because of their unbelief. 40 years because of this colossal mistake of unbelief and fear. How does that apply to you and I? Well, trust in the Lord. Obey His word. Life is not easy. It's not going to be easy for you as a Christian. You're to walk by faith and not by sight. You're to trust in the Lord with everything because He can do it. He's your conqueror, He's your deliverer. You need to put your faith in Him and believe in Him. And don't listen. Don't look to the right or the left. Don't listen to the voices. That reject the word of God. The forty-year death march for these unbelievers here, this unbelieving generation. They could hardly accept the judgment from God, and God chased them right out of off the border of Kadesh Barnea, and they're going to forever regret that. Let's pray, Father. I thank you for the word tonight and. Pray that we would learn from these lessons in this Old Testament history. That as Christians now, looking back at the, the colossal mistake that these people made, that we, Lord, would not make the same mistake. So help our unbelief. Help us to trust in you and to walk by faith. I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord some that are wavering, waffling, and they're unsure, I I pray that they would set their feet back upon your word and the solid foundation that you've given us. That they would go to you with their hurts and their questions, and they would confess their sin before you and that they would hear your voice, that you would restore that fellowship, Lord, that has been... Lost because of our disobedience and lost because of our complaints and murmuring. Restore us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. Renew a right heart spirit within us. And may we please you, Lord, in all that we do. And we'll give you thanks and we will give you praise. In Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.